everyone. Welcome to Coach Out Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. And here's what we've got lined up for you this week. You think that might be a mistake, but subconsciously and subliminally, there might be a player that really benefits from that mistake. Um, for example, you might put on a, a, a coaching practice where you think that's, that was a really, I, I didn't coach that very well or I didn't intervene at the right time or oh, I didn't manage that particular situation or that design particularly well. But actually, it might have been a really positive time because it might have allowed an extra bit of practice for a particular player. Coach Help is here to help you. Do you want guidance on your own personal development? Do you want to reflect better? Coach Help's primary focus is to help teachers, practitioners and coaches to do this. Get in touch today to set up a free consultation and ask any questions. You can follow us on Twitter at CoachHelp3 or email us at CoachHelp123 at gmail.com. Hi Matt, uh, welcome to the Coach Help podcast. Really appreciate you coming on. Um, just to start, we'll just tell us about your current role and kind of what you're doing, Matt. Yeah, sure. No, thanks. Thanks. Thanks for uh, inviting me on, Luce. Um, yeah, so I'm currently um, the head of youth development phase um, at Swansea City Football Club at the academy, um, a role which I've been in um, just around about 12 months now. Um, my my sort of history into coaching. Um, so I began I began coaching really when when I actually left school. Um, so I left school. Um, went to, went to do my A levels and went to do uh, my AS levels at, at college and then just kind of thought, well, actually, you know, I've, I've played football, I've enjoyed it. You know, how can I earn a, earn a few quid by by doing something I enjoy as, as well as obviously being at being at college? So yeah, you know, and undertook you know the the, the FA level ones and, and went through that process and just started to do a little bit of community coaching alongside alongside being at school. Um, Progressed that on, obviously, into my level two, um, moved on to university where I went to do um, a sports management degree at Birmingham University. Um, so, again, worked part time a little bit alongside that, working working within the community programs, really, um, within my local area. Um, so, you know, people, people listening will know what those entail in terms of school coaching, curriculum coaching, after school clubs, um, inclusion projects, disability projects. Um, so it was it was a broad range of um sort of coaching skills as well as as well as management skills in terms of managing groups of people and and, and engaging them in in physical activity really um and that was that was from from literally from preschool ages all the way through to to young adults um could do obviously going into my my degree at, at university um it kind of fell into place a little bit because I wasn't quite sure what to do once I'd finished my levels um had an interest in sport um and thought oh, I'll go and do a, a sports management degree um and in hindsight looking back on it now is it kind of really helped with with sort of where my career so far has taken us so in terms of managing budgets in terms of um organization in terms of sports development um in terms of, of structuring curriculums programs managing people um and then the finances behind, you know, running running an organisation, um, and it kind of gave me a bit of a baseline and some skills in which to to obviously, which inadvertently sort of came a little bit further down the line. Um, as I say, when I when I was doing that, obviously I was I was coaching part time as well. Um, thoroughly enjoyed what I was doing, and then that started to progress. and And once I I finished my three years at university, um, 
took up a part-time position at Birmingham City Academy um, within their within their foundation phase. Um, so under nines to under elevens, um, and again did that part-time. Um, and then once I once I'd finished my degree completely, um, the opportunity arose to to begin my own um, sports coaching organisation, um, which I I ran through um, our local authority at the time and became the provider. Um, for the for the football development program um, for for my area, um, and it kind of it was straight away. This all the skills that I'd learned pretty much in the last three years kind mm. of came to fruition a little bit, really inadvertently. Um, and it and it kind of it really made me kind of learn quickly as to how how to set up an organisation, how to manage a group of people, how to employ people um all the all the legalities rules and regulations behind that um and how to how to run a sustainable business ultimately gaining a profit um so develop that over the next two or three years whilst working part-time at Birmingham City um, and it gave me a kind of nice balance of a little a little bit of, of, of elite coaching which kind of mm. ticked those boxes and really really kind of was was my main bag if you like um, and what I really enjoyed, but then obviously having to sort of learn how to manage different types of groups, different types of people, adults, children, manage staff to support them, manage parents and support those teaching staff um, across a broad range of, of experiences and, and different environments, really. Um, and that progressed quite nicely over the next three or four years. Um and then opportunity arose then to, to move to West Bromwich Albion um, to work part-time within their youth development phase. Um, and again, ran, ran that alongside. And it just gave me opportunity to really work with, work with some older players and broaden my, broaden my knowledge there, um, which, which I really thoroughly enjoyed. Um, and then again, ran that along part, uh, part-time basis alongside, alongside the business. Um, and then where, where, where the organisation was going at the time is you started to see a lot of Football in the community programs become registered charities and, and community interest companies. Mm. Um, so I took the decision to to go alongside that. So I set up a charitable arm of the organisation, um, which obviously that meant we could broaden the program that we we could deliver. We could draw down government funding, um, and we could we could ultimately coach more people, work with more people, and, and make the program bigger and employ more people, um, which was quite successful for a time and and. And it really sort of taught me how to be run a sustainable organisation from from scratch, really, um, and all all the the management and all the things that came behind that. Um, and then um, a little bit later on, maybe two or three years later, um, opportunity arose um, to move full time in, into elite football at West Bromwich Albion, um, and and it was it was a dual role. So it was it was football operations manager um, and youth development phase coach which ironically was kind of what I was doing now mm, yeah. um, where I could, I could coach with within the youth development phase. So under 12 to under, under 16s, and I could work across that, those phases and gain experiences there. Um, but then I'd be, I could become fully immersed with, with support in the running day to day of, of a category one Academy. Um, so I took the decision to, to take that up, um, moved on from the business um, and, and went from there really, and then it, that was that was really probably the time where I gained you know a, a huge amount of experiences to how elite elite youth organisations, elite youth football works, and the academy system works because it was at the very start of the 
B Triple P in 2012. Um, and it was very new to everybody. So this explosion of staff, explosion of programs, sort of things that hadn't been really seen before in a, a kind of an upskill in in becoming professional, which which the ultimately the Triple P was was there to do. Um, so it was a really it was a really tough time. Um, I'm not gonna not gonna lie about that. It was really tough in terms of work life balance, in terms of being able to 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 manage your own needs around a, an evolving workload and and pressurized working environment, which which we were in at the time. Um, but I thoroughly enjoyed it and and, and learned a heck of a lot from it um, in terms of all assets of of how an academy operates. Um, going from not just the coaching side of things, but from recruitment, from analysis, from sports science and medical, um, from um, education and, and welfare. And it really is kind of coordinating that program and coordinating some of the projects behind that on a day to day basis. It kind of really gave me a good insight into how each of those departments operate. Um, and then as you move further down, you, you kind of your timeline, you start to then understand actually what were some of the really good point, points um, and what were some of the areas that you think you'd maybe do differently in the future if you were to go and if you were to go and do run it yourself. Um, but thor so I thoroughly enjoyed it, learned, learned a lot of things um, off a lot of good people um, who, were, who were very experienced within within their own within their own area and with their own area of expertise. And it ultimately just gave me a really good grounding of, of how how an academy works um, and gave me lots of opportunity to to gain contacts and to to build to build some really good projects at, at West Bromwich Albion, but also to to work with the Premier League on 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 different things and and in terms of games program, in terms of logistics, in terms of player development projects, and yeah, it was a it was a, it was a really good time and 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 thoroughly enjoyable. Um, over the obviously in the course, I did that for around about six or seven years, and then over. That then led into um, becoming full-time lead youth development phase coach, um, where I took kind of took the decision to go across across horizontally across, if you like, into into full-time coaching, um, and with keeping a little bit of of kind of like the operations arm, if you like. Um, but yeah, then managing the department, leading the youth development phase, um, which 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 we did for for around about two years, and then subsequently then moved. Um, moved to Swansea to do to do um, a similar role in in a new environment, um, and really excited about the, the the projects that we've got going on here um, with regards to player development and and how we're looking to, to to create a pathway and and ultimately create players for our first team. So that's kind of a snapshot of of sort of fifteen years or so. Yeah, no, brilliant. And again, just going through some of their moments. Who were kind of the biggest influences, or what were the biggest influences on you as you went through these stages? Yeah, I think you, I think you pick up, you pick up things off different people, don't you? And it's an obvious answer. People say you take good and, and you take bad off people, if you like. Um, like I said, moving from kind of the the influences in terms of like when I did my degree and and the, the teaching staff that I had there gave me a real insight into how to manage things and some of this kind of the theory and the, and the, and the academic side behind that. And then obviously from a practical perspective, um, especially like from, from at West Brom, you learn people off your, off your coach education courses, which I did, um, you know, I had from my, from Duncan Riddle with my uh, 
UEFA B license, Stuart Hall doing my B license and and uh, level uh, level one and level two, um, which are some of the things that you never you never quite forget and you you still practice now. Um, and then moving into at West Brom, um, sort of gained, gained an awful lot of knowledge from different people, really in, in different areas of speciality. Um, one of the one of the people I worked with quite closely closely was was Mike Scott, who's the who's currently the, the head of coaching at, at Wolves. Um, and I worked with Mike for for around about ten years, um, and obviously from from a similar background to myself, really in terms of coming from from education um, in, into coaching. And Mike was was the lead youth development phase coach um, at West Brom, previously head of education um, as well. And kind of he his kind of pathway was very similar to mine, and, and learned an awful lot from Mike in terms of player development, in terms of building relationships with players, in terms of the session designs and some of the things to to plan for and I think the big thing that I learned within that environment over that time was was managing managing people um, and I mean that I mean managing players as well because um, ultimately they're, they're, they're people and they're they young men um, and they young people that are that are looking to looking to gain gain a, a professional career in a really challenging industry and I learned I learned a lot from learned a lot from Mike over that time. Um, and you know, ultimately, utilize some of the skills that that and I still um, utilize some of the skills that uh, that I use now. Um, as I've progressed, obviously through through my career so far, um, over the last sort of five or six years, I was lucky enough to do um, the Premier League ECAS program, um, which which introduced me to a lot of new people, which introduced me to some really good practices. Um, and one of one of my mentors um, on that program um, was Dr. Jamie Taylor. Um, who I'm still doing some some work with academically at the moment um, as part of my PhD, but um, he gave me a real good insight um, and taught me a lot of things about the industry, coaching, um, managing managing people, managing um, projects, and, and ultimately sort of gave me a really good a really good sort of learning tools in, to accommodate and, and challenge and different problem solving techniques, um, especially. Um, but gave me really good theory um, and and sort of academic knowledge behind that as well as to why I was doing what I was doing. Um, so it kind of gave me a really good idea of, of reflection as to actually what have I done previously? Um, mm -hmm. Why have I done that? Um, some subconscious things where you don't quite know why you're doing it, but then you realise why why you might be doing that. Um, so I've, I've, I've picked up an, a lot of Jamie over, over the years um, and who's through some of his work has introduced me to to uh my mentors and um, Dave Collins and I picked up a lot of lot of work and a lot of um work on on some of the psychological aspects especially which is his area of strength um so I've learned an awful lot off him that I can put into practice um and yeah I'm still in touch with those guys and then and then another mentor as well um, called Nick Coyle um who was very much a kind of personal mentor um completely separate from football um so I've I've, I've been lucky and fortunate enough and still do keep in touch and run a lot of things through Nick um, and ask ask questions and kind of he gives me kind of non-football um, unbiased answers which um, have been really useful and have sort of managed me through some some you know challenging times over the years which which a lot of people will have um, so I'm certainly grateful to to those three people those four people I should say in in particular. No brilliant and again, going going through that as well, like because <clears throat> again, you've you've had a lot of time in in football and in coaching. Um, what 
what's been like a mistake that you've made, which you think you've really kind of learned from on your path? I think the the answer everybody will give you is um, I've made loads of mistakes, and and we all have, haven't we? We all we all we all make what we perceive to be mistakes. Um, but the kind of more I more I actually think about it, and and the kind of more experienced and the more years of of, of kind of knowledge and coaching hours you get, you actually think, well, were they mistakes? Um, and it's a bit of a cliche says mistakes are offers opportunities to learn, but they but they are ultimately are as well as things that that you perceive to be going very well. Um, so I certainly think that mistakes have a, a really big influence on on my own learning, and, and I'm sure will will be everybody's. Um, but I think there wouldn't be anything I'd say that was a huge mistake. But you, we make them all the time. We make them on a daily basis. We continue to make them now. Um, but what one person, for example, what one person, what one player might perceive to be a mistake, another person might find really valuable. Um, and you kind of don't know in your own eye, in your own head, it might be you think that might be a mistake, but subconsciously and subliminally, there might be a player that really benefits from that mistake. Um, for example, you might put on a, a, a coaching practice where you think that's that was a really I, I didn't coach that very well or I didn't intervene at the right time or I didn't manage that particular situation or that design particularly well but actually it might have been a really positive time because it might have allowed an extra bit of practice for a particular player it might have um, for example the design might you might perceive it to be to be incorrect but a player might have gained loads of decision making skills and loads of problem solving skills out of the chaos that that transpired um so I think, in a nutshell, I think we might continually make mistakes all the time. Some we know about, some we don't know about, some we're told about. Um, and I think we all, as long as we reflect properly on things, which, which is an area of, of that certainly I've I've developed over the years. I think it's certainly an opportunity just to shape to shape what you perceive some of those mistakes to be. So on that last bit you said there, how how do you reflect? What does it look like? Your kind of reflection process is it different? Is it the same every day. Yeah, I, I'm, I've kind of tried, I've tried all different types of things. I've tried formal things. So um, straight after the session, voice annotation, um, making kind of emotional emotional reflections, which I think sometimes are very valuable. Um, I've constantly make reflections also maybe 24 hours after an event where the emotion's taken out of that, where you can be a little bit more, a little bit more objective. Um, and I've kind of, I've kind of now got to the stage where I do it quite informally, um, and I probably do it more constantly. So you're constantly reflecting probably during the session. Did that work? In my opinion, did it not? Did I challenge that player enough? What was, you know, when, what was my intervention like here? What was my behaviour like here? How did, how do I adjust next time? And I think my kind of advice really would be, from what I, my experience so far, is just consistently um, reflect on on what you're doing. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, is really sort of start to think of why am I doing what I'm doing? Because if you don't know why, you, why you're doing something, you either need to find out about it or change what you're doing. Um, but I think that, and then when people start to understand actually why, why, am I, why have I done that or why, why have I done this or how have I managed this situation, it's then kind of up to the coach and up to, up to you and, and, and me to then go and find out whether that be from academic research to find out, well, actually, what's the process behind this and what's some of the, the knowledge base behind it from people that are more knowledgeable than me. 
Um, or how did it feel? Did I get a, did I get a response out of the player? Have I seen development? Have I seen improvement? Now you might not see improvement, but you can kind of get a feel maybe over a period of time as to actually is that is that development working? And then you can start to understand well actually these are, these are the kind of my behaviours or some of the traits and skills that I need to utilise more or less or in a different way um, just to to inspire a, a player in a in a particular area. Um, in terms of like my informal structure, if you like, I kind of look down session design, player engagement, um, and coach behaviour. Um, and I, I look, I look at those three areas as kind of like my, my structure and my framework behind, behind my reflections really. Yeah. So then does that lead into, cause again, you mentioned a PhD earlier is what is, are you studying something around coaching or is it? Yeah. So, um, I'm I'm looking essentially at um, what matters um, in academy football, um, in a nutshell, and I'll try and uh, explain it as, as simply as I possibly can. Um, so I'm looking at what academies are currently doing um, to develop players, what they could be doing to develop players, um, and what they should be doing to develop players. Um, so what I'm looking at is, firstly, is what what matters? So what what factors matter? Now we all know that the four corner model, don't we? you know, the technical, tactical, psychological, um, and and physical. Okay, now very standalone kind of isolated corners, um, and I'm looking at that as to see what actually what are those four areas that that are academies looking at to what do they identify as being important. Um, what do they identify as not being important and how does that weighting of importance shift as they move throughout the pathway? What I'm also then starting to look at actually is then how do those factors integrate? Um, so I'm looking at a, a, a five ring model. So the technical, tactical, psychological, physical, and social. Now, what I'm proposing is that they're actually not standalone corners and in their own right, actually there is quite a lot of integration between all of those five factors um, and it probably needs the academies probably need a more, although they've got multidisciplinary teams and interdisciplinary teams, is then how do and what do academies measure and what do they see as being the important factors for for player development? Um, so research over over the last couple of years that I've been undertaking has, has led me to two areas. Um, so one area being what what we call hygiene factors. So what factors are does a player need to be skilled at to be good enough so in order to in order to transition into senior football and gain a professional contract is what factors do they need to be good and good enough at so do they need to be quick enough for example do they need to be um agile enough for example do they need to be um tactically good enough to play in a number of positions now, within that, there'll be areas that actually, this is second area is what we call performance factors. So what factors directly influence um, the development of the player? What what areas can a player not be too good at? So, for example, a player can't be too technically good at receiving the ball. So there's no ceiling on how good he can be. A player might then, he can't be too um, psychologically have resilience, for example, he can't be too good at um, problem solving, 
You can't be too good at decision-making. You can't be too agile. So it's kind of differentiating, and that's differentiating by potentially age groups, stages of development, but certainly by individual development. And actually, my individual performance factors and hygiene factors might be different from what yours are. So now and then starting to look at actually once we understand if it, and once we understand actually what what are the important factors at different stages and ages and with individuals within the academy is actually then how do we how do we integrate and develop a player's curriculum to be able to upskill those areas to be able to help them transition through the pathway so long term towards what they want towards their long term goals but also then is how do we all so that being like the interdisciplinary team or the multidisciplinary team, um, how do we then integrate into, into the player's experiences and development to be able to support the player? So, for example, um, if I'm a um, if I'm a centre back, for example, a hygiene factor for me might be that I'm able to be quick enough to cover ground, but my technical 1v1 defending might be a performance factor because that's critical for me in that position for my age and stage it might be that you're a, a, a wide player for example so a performance factor for you might be your attacking 1v1 dribbling technical whereas a, a hygiene factor might be you've just got to be your endurance has got to be good enough um, and that can lead into um, in terms of hygiene factors in terms of are, in terms of the, like the anthropometric tests that the academies do is are we ensuring that you're fit enough and well enough physically able to be able to practice those performance factors enough at different stages um and it's 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 kind of then starting to develop actually then how do we coherently develop um, a player development curriculum to maximize the skills of that particular player now that's like coherently up and down the levels. So for example, me as an under 14 coach, having the same message and the same um, tools and the same skills and the same um, methods, if you like, um, that we're passing over to the player, say from under 14s to under 15s to under 16s, et cetera. But then across the pathway. So is what I'm doing as the under 14s coach supported coherently by the sports scientists? By the the, uh, the what the the message that the the analyst is giving, by the message that the education and welfare is giving, but then also outside the 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 actual immediate organisation is, are the are parents, for example, or agents, for example, in, within the industry, are they coherently giving the same message as to what the under fourteen or under 15s coach is giving, or are they actually incoherent? So then the players going well my dad's saying this, my agent's saying this, but my coach is saying this. And that that potentially there, where, where lies a potential problem. Um, so I've probably gone on a little bit and kind of gone off topic a little bit, but in a nutshell, that's that's sort of my area of study at the moment that, that I'm being supported by some of the people that I mentioned earlier as well. Um, and it's and able to obviously practice some of those thoughts, obviously within, within my current role as well. Yeah, no, it's really interesting because I'm like, the next bit is obviously, and God, Dorothy's part of research of how does that link from like a twenty ones into a first team. So you go well, they've hit all these this criteria, this markers. They should play for the first team, but we all know that 
that becomes very situational in terms of who the manager is, what they want, that kind of stuff. So is there anything you've looked at that or has it been more? Yeah, I think the firstly, um, from from my own practical experiences um, and from from my research as well, is it goes without saying that the, the, the biggest and the hardest transition is is that final stage from professional development phase into senior transitions. Um, and a problem potentially lies between a lack of coherence between academy and, and first team. And as you mentioned there, Lewis, as well, is, is that first team environment changes probably about every every 18 months, as we know. Yeah. So play, we're looking to produce players for the unknown. So we're looking to produce players with a range of skills for something that we actually don't know what it looks like. It only knows what actually we're, we're perceiving it to look like. Um, fortunately, um, at the club I'm at at the moment is we've actually, in my opinion, we've got a, a really strong culture and a really strong, um, whole club philosophy. So we kind of understand what skills we need to produce for our first team, for our players, mm. um, and it, in order for a player to transition from the under nines to the under tens. From from youth develop from nine v nine to eleven aside, which is which is a clearly another big step up from lower youth development phase into higher youth development phase into the professional development phase, and then critically into the into the professional game, if you like, into into senior football. There is a thread, so there's a, there's a coherent thread in terms of language, in terms of session design, in terms of principles, um, and in terms of playing style, um, which which I feel is, is essential for to support players to be able to transition into that next phase um, and to be able to gain success. The industry, unfortunately, doesn't sometimes allow for that, um, which makes it incredibly hard to, to upskill players with the right, as I mentioned earlier, the right performance factors and the right hygiene factors. So we kind of look at, can we upskill the players to be good enough at a lot of things to be able to cope with the demands and the different types of demands that they might face at senior level? So can they be physically robust enough? Can they be quick enough? Can a centre-back be able to head the ball well enough? For example, if he goes into a style of play at that level, but actually can he be able to pass and receive well enough to be able to help build from the back, for example? And then that would then potentially help a player be able to cope with the multifaceted demands of, of going into a first team environment. We all, we all hear the phrase of I'll pick him because the first team manager can, can trust him. Now I'm not sure I, I, it's, that's the, probably the problem between senior football and, and youth football managers dictate a, a style. They'll dictate um roles and responsibilities and the player's got to be able to cope with those and got to be able to execute what the manager or the head coach's plan is and that will differ slightly and will change all the time so we need to upskill the players to be able to cope well enough with a broad range of tactical challenges with a broad range of technical challenges with a broad range of physical challenges that they can cope with what we don't know in in the future um but Kind of, that's always going to happen, um, and that potentially harms players coming through the system. Um, but certainly, from from my perspective here, and, and from from the club at Swansea, is 
there is a real good thread uh, and I hope that continues and I'm sure it will do and it requires a lot of patience and it requires you know a lot of failure and a lot of um, challenging times and a lot of patience um, throughout all the age groups um, in, and senior football as well um, but um, it helps create a really strong pathway um, and helps create a helps create a a, a structure but also creates a supportive pathway where where a player can go into a, a senior environment and and be more equipped and have the skills to cope with the demands that that a senior manager might throw at them yeah no it's interesting I'm just just going over in my head was like your five rings idea and around obviously integrating them more how much do you lean towards kind of going from youth development phase into PDP the psychological side of it, because again, you talk, you mentioned there, like the first team goal. Like, I need to trust them. Yeah, is there not more scope to go well? Like, we need to develop players that can handle these scenarios a little bit more. So a manager goes well, yeah, because they haven't got the time to go. Are you ready? That kind of thing. Yeah, and, and absolutely, and it's here and now. They've got to perform to perform here and now, and they might only get one opportunity. Yeah. Um, so they've got to be equipped across all five rings to be able to cope with that, which as, a, as often as a, a 16, 17-year-old boy going into a first-team environment, and the good ones do, go into a first-team environment, you've got, to create, you've got to create that snapshot. I think um, in kind of answer to your question there is the, the, my research and a lot of academic research before me, certainly, and some of the, the research that I've done with a lot of academy managers and heads of coaching and, and experienced coaches that have, that have seen and, and worked within the pathway for a number, type, for a number, number of years is the psych psychological skills um, are critical performance factors. Um, mm. And they are often the difference between a player making it or not or a player sustaining a career or not. So my question would be then is, do we have enough... Do we have enough support and do we have enough influence of, of psychological um, skills and do we have enough uh, in terms of the player's curriculum? So, for example, you will see at a lot of academies that you'll see sports science session influence at every training session. Now, that can be as simple as a warm-up or it can be a, a motor core skills at foundation phase. It can be a strength and conditioning program as they start to develop, as, as we all know. But do we have do we have not just not a specific performance psychologist in inverted commas, because I think sometimes that historically paints the picture of paper over cracks. We've got a problem. So let's bring somebody in to, to solve and that problem. Are coaches upskilled enough to coach the psychological skills? Um, now that can come through coach education. Of course, it can come through practical learning, it can through, come through academic research, and it can come through the performance coaches and the psychological experts within clubs supporting coaches to upskill them to be able to deliver those skills on the pitch. Um, and if I'm honest, I don't meet from my experience. I don't see that enough, um, and research would suggest that that isn't that isn't developed as much or as it as it could be. It's very much a um, one size at the moment, one size fits all kind of process. So we'll do, we'll do a little bit of work on communication because we want to do a bit of work on communication. Then we'll go and do a little bit of work on resilience for what we perceive that to be. But actually, are we working on the critical factors for the individual? 
Um, so the, the model that, that I use is what's called the PCDEs, so that the psychological characteristics of developing excellence. So that involves things like goal orientation, it involves things like motivation, it involves um, things like goal setting, it involves um, resilient behaviour, emotional um, cognitive, cognitive uh, development. So it becomes very specialised behind the actual individual individual player. Um, and to try and kind of simplify that, for example, is you might have a centre forward that misses loads of chances. So he's going to require some potential work on, yes, his technique and yes, maybe his tactical decision making, but he not, might need a little bit of work on actually his emotional control because you can see his arms going up in the air and getting really frustrated with himself. Whereas you might have um, a centre-back who is playing at a level of football whereby he's up against a big, strong centre-forward who's pushing him over all the time. So now he might need a different type of um, uh, psychological training and skills and upskilling. It might not be that kind of emotional control, but it might actually be a little bit of resilience or a little bit of um, mental toughness. Within the academy system, and I mentioned that into integrating integration earlier, is... We all do fitness testing. So we all look, we all do yo-yo tests, bleep tests, mass tests, or slightly yeah. different variations. There needs to be consideration actually then is to how does psychological characteristics influence that? So we touch on actually what well, he he always wins the bleep test. Well, actually, he might win the bleep test because of his endurance being high, but actually his his resilience, his motivation and desire might actually be higher than everybody else's, which might influence his physical characteristics. So they might be his performance factors moving forward. So if we identify that, he's, that his endurance needs to be at a certain level, because he's a central midfield player for argument's sake, but his motivation, desire and resilience is outstanding, then those are the performance factors that we need to, that we need to focus upon for that particular player. Um, so I think... Though that sort of framework, if you like, would potentially help or help coaches coordinate a psychological program throughout the throughout the pathway all the way through, um, but individualize it um, and individualize it to support the player into that environment. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, is that the big jump into from youth into adult football, if you like is potentially that those psychological challenges. Um, so expectation, coach behaviour, and I mean like first team coach behaviour, expectation and pressure coming from, from senior professionals. Is there enough psychological support and is there enough social support, if you like, to, to help the player once they go into that um, adult environment? Um, from, from my own experiences and, and from my research undertaken is that probably doesn't happen enough although what you are starting to see now across across academies is loan managers which which certainly helps you're starting to see like heads of heads of player development and players that support players transitions up and down the age groups mm -hmm. and that starts from pre-academy into under nines and then it goes from actually are we supporting the player accurately enough psychologically yes and across those other areas maybe from under from seven aside football to nine aside football from nine aside football to eleven aside 
And it shouldn't be, you know, once you're up, you're up. It might be once you go to 11-a-side football, then you might come back down to 7-a-side football for certain areas. And it might be a little bit of a release and then a bit more of a challenge. Um, but about, but really, to summarise, is upskilling coaches to develop those psychological skills, maybe using that framework that I mentioned, to be able to coordinate um, the challenge experience um, integrated player curriculum, I think would be would be certainly my advice. No, I like that. And just to kind of start tying up Matt, again, you, you probably like touched on it a little bit, but from your research and your experience, if you could pinpoint one thing, what what might you, you change in the academy system if that was your opportunity to do so? I think and it, the academy system is has, has evolved over the years and it's become it's become a, a child based adult professional industry um and i think that that comes from outside influences um it comes from obviously the finances and the structure behind that um and i think that has then watered down into how coaches operate um and how how academy how how academy systems do as well to an extent um and I think we we all do, and I and myself included in that is we all kind of lose sight of actually they are children, um, and we we're, we're trying to upskill them to help them develop a career at an older age. Um, I think there's no harm in in early professionalisation in terms of certain areas, in terms of method, in terms of professionalism, in terms of coaching standards if you like um but i think the industry um has created um some challenging experiences for coaches and has probably has probably changed mindsets to become a watered down adult industry at younger age groups um i would suggest um which which potentially harms harms the players development moving forwards and i think you know one thing that that we that we're certainly looking to do here is 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 almost take keep the the formal structure um, and keep the, the the level of standard and coaching intervention, but actually it becomes a really becomes a really child centred environment, um, and a lot of you hear that you hear that a lot, and a lot of academies do a, do an awful lot of a lot of work um, mm. on on developing that social side um, and developing that that environment for players to be safe and have fun and enjoy and develop because that's how we all develop adults included. Um, and I think the more, the more we can move towards that, um, I think the, 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 the better the processes will be and the better the environment will be to, to help support players through, through especially psychologically challenging times when, when all the, the outside influences tend to kick in um, and create a really challenging time for academies, for players, for parents, um, and 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 for coaches as well. Um, so yeah, that that would kind of be my my sort of one wish and want a little bit. Um, whether it will happen, I, I very much doubt. Um, it probably comes from us as as, as coaches and and as leaders to try and to try and choreograph a, a, an environment to support that. I would suggest. Yeah, no, it's definitely something to <clears throat> to keep striving for. But no, Matt, really appreciate your time. Thank you for coming on. And again, 
some no real problem. kind of good insights for, for the listeners. So I really appreciate it, mate. No problem. Thanks very much. <laughs>